Matthew chapter 6, this morning, I think preacher was trying to preach on every passage in the Bible about prayer. But you know what? That's all right. There's never been a sermon preached that I, uh, or a sermon not preached that I can find in the Bible. Everything's been preached. Um, a preacher preaching on this passage didn't really deter me. Um, I, I, I can't do it better, um, but I can do it different. And maybe this morning touched some people, and then this evening will help some others. And that's the unique thing about having him preach in the morning, me in the evening. You get two very distinct styles and two different thought processes that go into it. And so this evening I'm presenting it quite differently, but we will be in the same passage of Scripture. But basically he preached in ten minutes what I was going to do over the next two weeks. So I'm very thankful that he did better than I can in a much shorter time than I can. But uh, nonetheless, we'll start in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5. The Bible says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What an empty reward that is, may I say. When men think of you something great, when you know all the while you are nothing great. Uh, you know who knew... Um, the, the, the people who knew the best who the Pharisees were, were themselves. As much as they loved to promenade around for everybody, they knew who they were. Them and God were the only people, but they did know who they were. It's an empty reward when we do things to be seen of men for the praise of men. And uh, certainly that's what the Bible's teaching here, that folks that love to, to prance around as if there's something special, something big, in Christianity, they're nothing. They have their reward. Verse number 6, But thou, this is for the Christian, who with the purest of intentions seeks to have a vibrant prayer life, an effectual and fervent prayer life. This is the instructions. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye like therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. Don't allow, verse number 8, to somehow... Put the thought in your mind that since God already knows what you need, you should not ask it. Because let me introduce to you a, a paradox that you might struggle to understand, as I certainly do. But the Bible clearly says here, He knoweth what things you have need of before you ask them. That means you ask them at some point or another. Meaning, if you don't ask them, uh, God does not respect your wish. Meaning that God knows what you're going to ask. Uh, sorry, I don't understand it either. It's quite paradoxical, if you will. M moving on, though, that's not really what we're, we're, we're studying tonight. Uh, verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, please help us as we study your word this evening. I ask that you would help us understand the essentials of a a, a daily prayer life. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. Before Jesus ever introduces what we now know as the model prayer, he gives two very stern warnings. Before you ever start to be a a fervent and effectual prayer, prayer, (laughs) we're off to a rocky start, folks. This is only going downhill from here. Before you become an effectual and fervent prayer, these two things must be burnt into your heart and seared into your conscience so that you do not become like the hypocrite or the heathen. And they are this. Prayer is to be private. Verse number 5, he warns the people that they would not be like the heathens that, or, or like the hypocrites that stand in synagogues and in the corners of the streets as if they are beckoning God and they're loudly doing so so everyone can see them. Prayer is to be a very private matter between you and God. When I was at West Coast Baptist College, I remember sitting in class one day and hearing uh, one of my professors go on and on and he was in his lecture And I I believe somewhere along the way he began to touch on this idea of prayer. And uh, he he said, I know for a fact that there's a young man in this college that every day spends 10 hours in prayer. And at first, to some degree, I have to be honest, I was challenged. And then I was confused. And then down after that, I just downright didn't believe it. You see, in the life of a Bible college student, it's pretty hectic. They give you, for instance, if you're in Old Testament survey, this is just one class, but you're required to read the entire Old Testament through in, in about uh, nine weeks. Not to mention all of the actual reading you have to do, which, I mean, for those of you that went to college, you know the extended reading schedules, and, not, and surely Bible college students don't have it much harder than a normal college student, but man, I'll tell you what, if you did all your work, you were very busy. And I, I remember thinking in my mind, and, and you got to know that many of these guys are paying their way through college. They're working their way through college. So I roomed with a man that worked 60 hours a week and took 18 credit hours. It was amazing. I never saw him, and I lived with him. And it was incredible. And so when, when one of my professors stood up and said, uh, there's a young man in this college I know for a fact spends 10 hours in prayer each day. I I just didn't believe it. So I kind of put my nose to the ground. I began to investigate a little bit. After I started asking around, guess what I came to find out? I found out that that young man named his bed prayer. And he began to spread this rumor around the college that he spent 10 hours in prayer. And he thought it was funny. He spent 10 hours in his bed. He was lazy. And, and it was actually quite comical when it came out because now it's gone all the way up the chain of command. And now uh, one of our professors is bragging on this young man's spiritual fervency for Jesus Christ. All the while, all he is is a sluggard, man. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. Even when I first heard that, I began to question in my mind, before I knew of the the funny side of that story, you know what I began to question? 
How, how did that get out? That, that he spends 10 hours in prayer. Because according to the Bible, your prayer life is a very private matter. And when we pray in public, our reward is the praise of men. But when we pray in private, our reward is the blessing of God. And and you check the verse, it says, people will see your prayer life based upon God's blessing you. And so your prayer life is very private. And the Bible goes out of its way to make sure that before you even begin to ask the question, how do I pray? He says, number one, it better be private. Number two, he says, if you're going to do it, your prayer must be purposeful. Look in verse number seven. He compares in verse number five, the heathens as doing it in public. And now in verse seven, he compares to the heathen and says, when you pray, use not vain repetitions. Now, I don't have to touch on this very much. Preacher did a very effective job this morning. As the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. You realize that the amount of words that you say does nothing but muddy up your prayer. You, you, I, and y'all have all heard it when people get really elaborate with their prayer. And you think to yourself, I have not heard you say thee or thou at all in conversation about anything we've spoken about today. But the moment you start praying, it's like King James himself was speaking to God. And you wonder, that, but, but the, we are not to have a vain repetition. But not only the much speaking of it, this is what I'm always challenged with. If, if these warnings occur before this matter of, okay, if you want to truly know how to pray, here's how you do it. But before we get there, you must know, do not use vain repetition. And I'll tell you what, that's been something that's always concerned me in my own prayer life, that I not get accustomed to the common Christian phrases in our prayer. That I not borrow other people's emotional concepts as they pray. And I hear that and I say, well, that's good. I probably need to say that so the next time someone hears me pray out loud, they can hear me say that and then they'll be impressed with me. So we got to make sure that our prayers are not always repetitious. I even told the youth department this morning that we are to pray in Jesus' name. But one thing that I have been challenged with, and this is just a personal conviction, this is not necessarily a Bible doctrine. We want to distinguish those two. But one of the things that I've always been challenged with is that I not always say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, as if it's some salutation that just closes my prayer, as if it's some exclamation point on the end of it. I believe you are to pray in Jesus' name, but I like to somehow, in Jesus' name, give him honor and glory. So I'll say something to the effect of, in Jesus' precious and powerful name, I pray, amen. And I'll try to change it. Why? Because I've always been concerned about this vain repetition. That brings me to this point and question. If I am not to repeat myself vainly in prayer, it is going to be very difficult to have a vibrant daily prayer life. Say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? How many of you men enjoy the moment when you get your Valentine's Day card? And and I would think that the note that Hallmark makes is better than anything that I can say. 
I read through 45 cards to pick out the unique one. But there seems to be this expectation of ladies that you personalize it. So this left side of the card is left blank. And now I am to write the way I feel. I loathe this time of year. I am expected to somehow put into words the love that I feel for my wife, and it is beyond what the English language can bear. Oh, she, she gagged! She gagged! Every time I do it, you know what I realize? I try coming up with something new and creative, but every year it sounds almost the exact same. Honey, I love you. Thank you for all you do. I'm so thankful that you serve our family. You're a woman of God. Honey, if I had it over to do again, I wouldn't trade you in for a newer model. (laughs) And every year, this sounds the same. And that's once a year. And now I'm to have a daily prayer life that is to be personal that is to be private, and that is to be purposeful in my speech. How do you do that? Many people have confused this model prayer as something that is to be prayed repetitiously. As preacher preached this morning, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think that this is a model. And so as we look at this prayer tonight, I want to take a look at four essentials to a daily prayer life. Christian, you need prayer every day in your life. So let us look at four essentials to a daily prayer life. The reason I said this is going to be the shortest sermon I may have ever preached is because I think we only may do two points this evening and reserve two for next week. So here we go. Number one, what is the first essential to a daily prayer life? Number one, request for divine submission. Verse number 10. If you don't know verse number 9, and countless times I've heard sermons preached on this, but number 9 is giving adoration to God. Verse number 9, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I believe when you, when you go into prayer, it's a good thing to thank God for who He is and recognize who He is. And that's what verse number 9 is. But verse number 10 begins the first request. We see the first request take place, and it it is this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What this is, is a request for divine submission. You see, in earth, God's will is not always accomplished. Now, what we do is we lump in God's will with God's plan, but they are two different things. You see, God's will is not always accomplished. Have you ever heard anybody say, Brother Andrew, if God loves everybody, how come he would send them to hell? Or, Brother Andrew, if God's up there and he really cares about us, how come something like Hurricane Harvey would ever happen? What those people are doing is they are lumping God's plan in with God's will. And they are two distinct things. God's will is not always accomplished in this world. You say, uh, how dare you say that? It is God's will that Christians would be thankful 
and always pray, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, notice this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God's will is that you would always be thankful and that you would always be in prayer. Let me ask you, do you always do that? But that's God's will. Are you telling me that God's will is not always accomplished in this earth? That's exactly what I'm telling you. God's will is not that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want any single person to have to go to hell. Let me ask you, will there be some that go? God's will and God's plan are distinguishable. God's plan is that that uh, uh, remember back in the story of Moses when when Moses was just born a new Pharaoh had risen over Egypt the number began to greatly multiply he talked to the Hebrew midwives and, and said what y'all need to do is if it's a male child you need to kill it if it's a, a, a girl child then you can save it the Hebrew midwives get back and they, they, they kind of consult together and they say there's no, no way we can do this thing after a little while, Pharaoh realizes, the new Pharaoh realizes, that his wishes are not being carried out. It goes on, Pharaoh calls them back up and he says, I told you exactly what I wanted you to do. And this is what the Hebrew midwives say. They say, but Hebrews are not like the Egyptian women. You know what they do? They call the Egyptians a bunch of babies to Pharaoh's face. They say, the Egyptian women, after labor, they can't do anything. But they use this word. The Hebrew women are lively after birth. In other words, they're going to kung fu us if we get near their baby. And so Pharaoh says, okay, if you can't handle it, I'll put my guards in charge of this. And he commands his guards to make sure that every male child is killed. That's in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 2, at the very beginning of it, is the introduction of Moses and his mother. And, and, and Moses is hidden for months by his mother so that the soldiers never come and kill Moses. But there comes a day in Moses' life when she can no longer hide him. Y'all remember the story, I'm sure. And so she crafts an ark of the bulrushes. She makes a little basket of sorts and sends him down the Nile River. Let me ask you this, friend. Were there Hebrew children that died as a result of, of Pharaoh's command? I would almost certainly say yes. Was that God's will? That those Hebrew children would be killed by some wicked king? No, certainly not. It was not God's will that Adam and Eve would sin in the garden. It was not God's will that you would sin. But the reality is God's will is not always accomplished in this earth. God's plan, however, is. Because even though there was a wicked man that decided to kill all those Hebrew children, God somehow led that basket down the Nile River, and the way I picture it, bouncing off of crocodiles. To Pharaoh's daughter, probably the only lady in all the land that had the authority and the heartstrings of Pharaoh enough to save this one little child. You see, while God's will is not always accomplished, we can clearly see God's plan is accomplished even through wicked people. 
I would even go so far as to say God's will can only be fulfilled by a child of God. Listen to me. You see, the Bible says they that are of the flesh cannot please God. And I would think that doing God's will would be pleasing to Him. Meaning that someone that is still in their flesh without the Spirit cannot please God. Now, God can use them for His plan, but He cannot use them in His will. Now, you say, I'm so lost. I don't even know why you're telling us all this. Because in verse number 10, the prayer is this. Not that God's plan would be carried out. God's plan is always carried out. Look, God is not surprised by anything that goes on. God is sovereign. He sees all. He knows all. He is all. He kind of said that in the burning bush. Hey, Moses, when you go back and tell those people who sent you, you just tell them, I am. (laughs) I am enough reason. I am the motivation. I am the salvation. I am all the Asians in the world. I am that I am. God is not confused or surprised by anything that comes by, but that is well within his plan. Christian, when you go to God in your daily daily prayer life, you are asking that God's will would be accomplished, not his plan. Listen to me. We request for divine submission. We need to, as is illustrated in verse number 10... Pray for our life personally. The Bible says in verse 10, Thy will be done. You need to pray for yourself. You need help in this Christian life. Spend some time in prayer for yourself. Ephesians 5 verse 16, Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. God's will, Christian, for you is that you would walk in the Spirit, that you would abide in Christ. So when you get up tomorrow, spend some time asking God to help you in that endeavor. Pray for yourself. But this is number two. Pray for others. You need plenty of help in your Christian walk. But so do your brothers and sisters in Christ. As we are children of God trying to carry out the will of God in our life, man, lift your brother up in prayer. James 5 encourages us to confess our faults one to another and Pray for one another that ye be healed, because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It goes on to say, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We are commanded to pray for our brethren in Christ, because they need your prayers. In that same passage of Scripture, you know what Paul says? Pray for yourself, pray for the saints, and then he goes on to say, and for me. (laughs) Paul wasn't okay just being lumped into the group of the saints. He wanted their prayers, he craved their prayers earnestly and individually. Someone said, nothing proves that you love someone more than mentioning them in your prayers. This week, I 
got a missed call on my phone. And it seems like voicemails are a lost art these days. Have y'all noticed that? Nobody leaves voicemails anymore. Half the people you call have a voicemail box that has not been set up. And I tell you what, that is incredibly frustrating. But, but I do have a voicemail box that has been set up. My favorite, though, is Evan Hufford's voicemail. Uh, I encourage you to give him a call after church this evening. He set it up when he was eight years old. And so when you get it, you're certain it's not Evan because he says, Hi, this is Evan Hufford, and he hasn't hit puberty yet. It's just fantastic. But, but you know, I got a voicemail, and it was surprising to see it because it's such a rare occasion. I get a voicemail. I click on it, and it was Jimmy Olsen. Jamie Olson's father. You know what he said? Hey, Andrew, I didn't need anything. I, I was just calling to let you know I prayed for you today. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. I love you. You know, it's easy for me to believe he loves me because he's praying for me. Out of nowhere, with no motivation, he prayed for me. Christian, when's the last time that you lifted your brother or your sister up to the Lord. Oh, we spend a lot of time praying for ourselves, don't we? Oh God, I pray that you'd give me the, the wisdom. I pray that you'd give me the ability to avoid temptation. Lord, I pray that you'd give me. And we have such selfish prayer sometimes. Let me challenge you. Occasionally, just put your mind into park and say, God, bring to my mind and to my heart people that need my prayers right now. And it's amazing what God will start doing. People you didn't even see at church this last week, He'll start bringing to your mind. Why? Because God knows that prayer works. Pray for your life. You need help through this Christian life. Pray for the lives of others. Verse number 10 tells us that the first essential to daily personal prayer is a request for divine submission. Number two is a request for daily supply. Verse number 11, the Bible says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What is, he, what, what is Jesus teaching us to pray for? Well, He's teaching us to pray for our needs. You know, it's a good thing when you recognize that you still need God. As preacher mentioned this morning, in our materialistic culture, and we have so much, it's so easy to depend on the balance in the checking account. It's so easy to depend on the security that we have and the seniority we have at work. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's a good idea to just look to God and say, God, take all the money away. Take all the work away. I need you first and foremost in my life. And Jesus is encouraging his followers to pray for a daily supply. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse number 31, he carries this thought through and he says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What ye shall eat, what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God takes care of His children. So as we approach Him in prayer on a daily basis and we say, Lord, I'm trusting you to take care of me today. Do not miss the thought, our daily bread. What is is Jesus teaching us to be concerned about today? Lord, give us our bread for today. 
You know what? When we begin to trust God for our daily provision, you know what it helps do in our life? It eliminates worries about tomorrows. When we focus on today and we say, God, I trust you today. Why would we worry about tomorrow? We find a a practice that becomes learned in our mind. Matthew 6, verse 34, the Bible says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The Bible makes no bones about it. You're going to face struggles tomorrow. You're going to have issues tomorrow. And you're going to need God tomorrow. But while you're today, why don't you spend some time asking God for today's supply? He asks us to focus on our daily supply. And when we do that, it eliminates worry in our life. Number two, it strengthens our faith. As we begin to see God provide each and every day, you know what it does? It helps us to more effectively trust Him for tomorrow. The Bible says in Psalm 37, it was David that said, I have been young and, and, have been, and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. David says, when I was a young man, I questioned certain things. Now I am old and I have learned one thing in my life. It's that God always provides for his children. The David that slew the giant did not have the faith of David that wrote this psalm. He says, I've looked back over my life and I've learned one truth about God. It is that he is always faithful to his followers. It is that he's always merciful to his followers. It is that he's always good and supplies for his followers. How did he do that? Well, he trusted God one day at a time. It eliminated worry in his life, but it strengthened his faith. Christian, let me ask you, how many of us have doubts that the sun is coming up tomorrow? Why do we not doubt that? How many of of us have doubts that the seasons will change? Now, Texas's are a little odd, I'll give you that, but there will be a fall. There will be a winter. How do you know? You know why? Because it's been the case in your life every day and every year. The sun has always risen on you. The sun has always set. Uh, uh, Winter has always been closed out by spring. Spring has always been concluded by summer. Summer has always been followed by fall and fall by winter. Is that not right? We understand these things are natural. These things are moving. These things are always occurring. Why? We have learned over the course of our life. We can trust these because, listen to me, they are established by God. So when you trust God for your daily provision, you know what it is? It's learning that the sun's coming up in your life. The sun rises daily and God takes care of you daily. But when we begin to question and we begin to take matters out of God's hands and we begin to forecast as if we ourselves are sovereign... We look in years and years ahead of time and we've got our one-year plan, our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, and our 50-year plan. We look all that way in advance and we neglect to trust God for today. How do we get this faith that can trust God for daily supply? 
Yesterday, we went and visited Brother Clint McDaniels and his wife. We were actually there to see his child, Logan. We were inviting him to the youth department. And, and when when knocked on the door, Brother Clint came to the door with no shirt on. And I, I wish Brother Clint were here tonight. I'm, I'm sure there's uh, something that, uh, that came up. But Brother Clint stood at the door. And, you know, the kids would say this about Brother Clint. He is jacked. Okay. My generation would say, he is ripped. Uh, Maybe another generation would say, he is yoked. Maybe y'all would say he's huge. I don't know, but man, he opened the door. There was muscles popping out. I didn't even know were muscles. And he said, Brother Kevin was there with me. I'm sorry, guys. Let me go put on a shirt. You asked Brother Kevin... I said, if I looked like you, I'd never have a shirt on. (laughs) But there is one big difference between me and Brother Clint. I don't work for it. Exactly. I'm glad that elementary concept registered in Brother Marshall's mind, amen. You see, Brother, Brother Clint hits the gym. He's, he's pumping iron. You know what I do? I live sweet tea and Dr. Pepper. <laughs> there is a discernible difference between the amount of effort that Brother Clint puts into his physique and the amount of effort that I put into my physique. But there's also a noticeable difference in the results. When you trust God on a daily, uh, to, tr- to, to supply your daily needs, you know what you're doing? You're exercising your faith. You know why some of us have so little faith? It's because we never exercise it. We never go to God in prayer and say, God, I know I have a good job. God, I know that there's extra money in the bank account. God, I know that I have stocks and I have, I have bonds. I have all sorts of different things. And, and it would appear to any out, outlook, onlooker that, that I am okay and I am secure. But God, I recognize to you this morning that at any moment these things can just be ripped away from me. My faith is not in my account. My faith is not in my work. My faith is in you, dear God. And when you do that, you take your trust out of all the things and you place them in the giver of those things and you exercise your faith. But some of us have such small faith. Why? Because we never exercise it. Listen to me. Prayer and faith are so interchangeable, you cannot discern the difference between the two. A faithless prayer is a prayer that is ineffective. If you're going to God, you better believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You cannot enter God's throne room and say, 
Well, God, I just wish that maybe sometimes you would take care of me. No, 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 no. What a faithless prayer. We can come boldly before the throne of grace and throw our cares and throw our petitions at his feet and say, God, I don't know why you do it. God, I am certainly not worthy of it. But today I place all my cares and all my desires at your feet because the Bible says, casting all my cares upon you for you care for my soul. Lord, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm so unworthy. You are so holy. You are so high and I am so low. But God, I trust you today because your word says you'll take care of me. I don't get it. But I guess that's where faith comes in. When my intellectual mind cannot get it, which is often, my faith muscle has to be exercised. Your prayer life, your daily prayer life, must trust God for your daily supply. And you must trust God. And you must ask God for, for a, a submission to His will. And if we fail to do these two things, I promise you, your prayer life will be completely ineffective, both to God and for you. You'll find no semblance of encouragement when you get up from your, prayers, from your prayer. You'll find no hope for tomorrow because you do not go to Him and say, God, today I ask that most of all, you would direct my steps and keep me in your will. And, 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 and when, when I come before a decision, I pray that your Holy Spirit, because this is the will of God for all of us, that we would be full of the Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would direct my steps so that I stay in your will. Lord, I pray today for my, my friends and my family. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ at Joshua Baptist Church. I pray that you would help them be full of the Spirit of God. I pray that you would encourage those that are downtrodden. I pray that you would help those that are hurting. Lord, I pray that you would heal those that are sick. I'm asking, Lord, that you would help our brothers and sisters walk in your will. And Lord, today I trust you for my supply. I care not about what tomorrow may bring because I know, Lord, you hold everything. Lord, you, you, you make the mountains, you own the cows on the mountains. And so today, I am asking that you help me trust you. And when you start with these two elements of a, a prayer, a daily prayer life, I promise you, your prayer life will be more effective. This isn't my formula, you understand. I didn't come up with this. I, I told the teenagers this morning, prayer is not our invention. If it were our invention, it would make sense that it would not work. But God in his sovereignty and wisdom looked down and said, I am going to give my children some way to cast their cares to me. I'm going to give my children some way to ask me for things. For the very definition of prayer is to ask. So, so I'm going to give my children something. And he gave us prayer. And with all of that knowledge, how dare we Christian neglect so great of a thing God has given us? That we would choose to walk through our day without God's provision. That we would choose to trust in our wisdom and not walk in God's will. 
You know the Bible says to us, let him that thinketh he stand take heed, <laughs> lest he fall. Tomorrow when you wake up, or tonight when you go to bed, you're going to be faced with a decision to claim God's promise of a daily effective prayer life or to reject it. But you know when you reject it, you know what it is? It's pride. There's no, there's no question about it. It's pride. Because by you failing to pray, you know what you're doing? You're admitting to God you do not need Him. At least involved in your daily life. Do you have a strong and effective daily prayer life, Christian? I'll be the first to admit mine could stand some improvement. 